Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Tuesday, December 15th edition of the Basement Academy as we continue on with our backstory to the birth reflections. Before we do so, I want to read a morning psalm that actually will tie into the reflection. Uh, it's wonderful how scripture kind of uh, pulls together. There's an integrated whole woven with all the same threads. And so uh, this is for the director of music to the tune of the lily, Psalm 45. This is of the sons of Korah. It says it's a wedding song. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty ride forth victoriously. In behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness, let your right hand display awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the strings makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. Listen, O daughter, consider and give ear. Forget your people and your father's house. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. Men of wealth will seek your favor. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her and are brought to you. They are led in with joy and gladness. They enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 45. So you hear that wedding theme of the, the royal bride in gold of Ophir. And so um, possible that this was uh, in honor of Solomon, uh, David's son. And so there's, there's that image that may certainly be at play. What's interesting, it, it portrays the king as the warrior, right? So gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. In your majesty ride forth victoriously in behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. And so the understanding of the king for Israel was that the king was a warrior. Okay, you know our our president, our our uh, we call him the commander in chief, right? And so we have a 
civilian head of the army, as it were, uh, head of the armed forces. But it's this notion that the supreme ruler of a nation has the authority to command. Here, the, the king actually goes into battle himself. And so that's the picture. So David, you know, uh, was a shepherd, but slayed Goliath and then um, became a, a mighty warrior. And so what grew up was a messianic understanding. So again, Messiah is to be the son of David. We saw that in the genealogy. There was this promise to David that one of his descendants would always sit upon the throne. And so the messianic understanding was of a military warrior that would go defeat God's enemies. It's understandable. So there's nothing surprising uh, about that. And so this psalm is in that in line with that. And so gird your sword on your side and your majesty ride forth victoriously in behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness. Hmm, interesting. So we're going gonna to loop back to this. Okay, let's go uh, to the backstory, to the birth. Back, back to that. So uh, in Monday's reflection, we talked about prophesectomies. <laughs> how Isaiah 9, we tend to take out the scalpel and carve out the hard parts, kind of cut them away, so that we just go, those who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and then we jump right to the child who was born, the son who was given. And so, let me read it again, just so we hear it. No prophesectomies here. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So that's the full passage. Okay, Again, we usually cut out parts of it. So the hard parts, as I suggested uh, yesterday, are keep us grounded in the story, grounded in the truth, and they guard us from domesticating or sentimentalizing, particularly the Christmas story, but in all ways the, the gospel story. Okay, But the Christmas story in particular, the birth of Jesus, is easily sentimentalized okay, and turned quickly into something that it really wasn't or isn't. Okay, 
And so there are two historic uh, uh, events that are referenced that we don't readily know. Okay, that's why we need a little bit of backstory work. Okay, there's the reference from the 720s about Zebulun and Naphtali, Zeb and Naph, <laughs> Zebulun and Naphtali, these two tribes that belong to the northern kingdom after the Civil War. Okay, 10 northern tribes, two southern tribes. So the, the nation of Israel breaks apart and Assyria comes and humbles them. And, and so the northern kingdom, including Zebulun and Naphtali, are destroyed. So that's the reference there. And then a reference to the defeat of Midian at the hand of lowly Gideon, who was, who was raised up as a judge, that is a military leader. Uh, the Midianites, that, that yoke, that rod of the oppressor was defeated. Okay, and so there's going to be joy. Okay, there's for those who walked in darkness, those who were in distress and gloom, there's going to be joy, there's going to be celebration, as in the day of Midian's defeat. And so these are two references we might not understand. I was thinking, so because w that's not our, our family story, as it were, but here in America, you might say, like the Alamo, okay, was like a, a, a defeat essentially. Remember the Alamo. But essentially, it was a defeat, right? Or Pearl Harbor or something like that, or, you know, 9-11, okay, you know, the Twin Towers. So, you know, Americans have a history, and so the history of the United States, there's, there's wars that, you know, happened, and there are defeats, and there's victories, okay? Yorktown, okay, when we finally won the, the War of Independence. Um, and so, um, so there's these... Doing the backstory is helpful to understand what God's plan is. But then we get to verse 5. And it's it's some interesting language, okay? It's every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled or in some translations dipped in blood. Yuck. Okay, so put away the scalpel. You know, the tendency might be to want to cut that part out. Both of these references, that the context is battle, where a battle was joined with an enemy. One, there was a victory. One, there was a defeat, okay? The defeat of Midian uh, by Gideon uh, in the 300, or the defeat at the hands of the Assyrians. So, so one, but both engage battle, okay? Does that make sense? So here, I think, is what's going on in some of this backstory, why Isaiah sets battle and warriors' boots and blood next to this peaceful picture that we draw out at Christmas of a child who's born, a son who's given. This child, Jesus, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so... We just kind of want to keep Christmas nice and serene and Mother Mary and Silent Night and the angels and the little drummer boy, which of course was not there. As, as beautiful as that music and I love that song, there was probably no drummer boy there, right? So that's what I mean by sentimentalizing it. We don't want to talk about warrior's boots and bloodshed and all that stuff. Let's just take the child who's born, the son who's given. But it's the context. This child is coming to do something, okay? The tragic truth, this is kind of backstory to the, the, the story. The tragic truth is that the history of the world 
is a history of battle and warfare and bloodshed. The ultimate backstory to all of this takes us back to the garden, right? You knew I was going to get there eventually, right? Always get back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. We have to because that a good creation marred by a tragic fall. Adam and Eve choosing to walk away from God, deceived by the serpent because there was some warfare that happened in heaven somewhere, a rebellion against God. And so the serpent, a creature of God, has rebelled against God and now is seeking to enlist others into his side, into his army, as it were, against God. Come, be a law unto yourself. Come, set yourself against God. God's trying to hold out on you, being stingy. He knows that when you eat this fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like him. God's stingy. God's mean. God's holding out. So that's the nature of the deception. Adam and Eve fall for it. And so they take and eat. Their eyes are opened indeed, but now they're ashamed. And so here is where we trace this history of warfare. Okay? the garden, the fall, and it's not but the next generation. Adam and Eve have children. Cain rises up against his own brother Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. Cain, you certainly do know where he is. Okay? And so, and so we see warfare enter right here. And so the human family is a, is a, a family engage with sibling rivalries that turn into family feuds that turn into these tribes, right? Okay, and so the moral tribes that we find ourselves in. Culture wars turn to civil wars. We can't get along. We don't agree on what it means to be a common people. We don't share a common vision. And so culture wars turn to civil wars and then nation rises against nation and we have world wars, okay? This is human history, okay? This is just the way it is. And so the backstory to everything is the, the garden and the fall and sin. And okay, what we do, we're right. I'm right. You're wrong. I have to defeat you. I have to kill you. I have to remove you. Okay. All of this is backstory to the Isaiah 9 story, which is backstory to the birth of Jesus story. Okay. So you can't understand the birth of Jesus without understanding these prophecies, without understanding these scriptures, you, without understanding the creation story and the fall story. You, and this is what happens in our culture. So it just it kind of gets sentimentalized into peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, let's just be kind to each other, and let's just you know we we, we Eric talked about this yesterday in our pastoral conversation in, uh, during the message. We want to paper over and we kind of want to, let's just stop all that craziness for a couple weeks and let's be kind to each other. And we do pretty well, most of us. But why can't we keep it up? Why don't we keep it up? Because we don't want to keep it up. We like to fight. There's something in us that loves the fight, that we love putting other people down. That's why we love politics, right? Because politics is just warfare by other means. That's all it is, right? Somebody said that. It certainly wasn't unique to me. But politics is warfare by other means. But our politics in our nation might be leading to warfare by other means, right? Actual 
you know, armed conflict, sadly. And so here's the backstory, okay? The backstory is in the garden, the fall. The backstory is a battle. The backstory to the uh, to us, a child is born, a son is given. You've got these two battles. And then this statement, every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will become fuel for the fire. We're putting it all away. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. The immediate preceding verse <laughs> before a child is born, a son is given is warrior's boots and blood, bloody garments. <laughs> that are now gonna be put aside. Ah, here's where the story starts to come together. Isaiah is saying God is going to intervene to put an end to these warring ways of the people he made. Those who bear his image, who gloriously bear his image, now in the fall have taken that image in all those capacities and we've developed weapons of warfare to go kill other image bearers. People, this is so crazy. Why do we do this? Well, because we're right. We need to defend our homeland. And see, we justify. That's what sin does. We justify our warfare. And so the prophecy, the birth of Jesus, the backstory is saying, God doesn't want that. <laughs> the reason the child is born, the son is given, is to take every warrior's boot and every garment dipped and rolled in blood and get it out of here. Stop your warring ways. And so here's the mystery of the gospel. Okay, we talked yesterday about the consolation of Israel. Okay, that you can't understand the birth unless you understand the cross. The, the cross falls across the, the, the shadow of the cross falls across the cradle. The mystery of the gospel. Our God sends a warrior to end warfare. Well, I thought Messiah wasn't going to, Jesus isn't going to be a, a warrior. He's coming as a, as a prince of peace. He comes in riding on a donkey. He's a man of peace. He sends a spiritual warrior. This is Psalm 45 is foreshadowing Jesus. In your majesty, Jesus, ride forth victoriously. Not to lop off their heads with your sword. Gird your sword. What sword? The sword of truth. In behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness. Jesus comes in behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness. Jesus doesn't come to run the Pharisees through, to run Pilate through, to run the Romans through with a real sword. He comes with the sword of truth, the sword that comes out of his mouth. We'll look at that. We're going to look at the book of Revelation at the end of this week. So he sends a warrior, a spiritual warrior, to end physical warfare. He through the shed blood of Jesus, he begins the process of ending bloodshed. Through the death of Jesus, he destroys death. Now, it hasn't happened fully yet, right? People still fight, people still war, blood is still shed, there's still conflict in the human family because the kingdom has not come finally, fully, and forever. But what Jesus says to Peter, put away your sword. Put away your sword, Peter. All who wield the sword will die by the sword. And so Jesus comes and talks about turning the other cheek. Now, right about now, some of you are going, yeah, but what about the enemies of our nation? We have to defeat the enemies of our nation. What if somebody were coming to your, to your house, Don, and we're going to break in and try to steal your 
you know, your money and, and you know, rape your wife and daughter. And, you know, that, I understand all those things. This is the world we live in. I understand all of that. But that's not the world we want to live in, right? That's not the world God wants us to live in. And so he sends a child. He sends a son, his very own son, that through this son, a process unfolds. Something begins, a, a time bomb begins to tick when one day all of this warring world is going to put away their swords. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment dipped and rolled in blood will be destined for the fire. And so the question is, are we willing to join the spiritual battle or not? Or are we going to, it's all about the sword. This is tension. I, I, I understand the tension. I live in this tension. I was raised in a military family. I get it. Okay? But as disciples and as apprentices of Jesus, whose side are we going to be on? <laughs> are we ultimately going to come down on the side of the sword? It's a choice we can make. We have that freedom. Or are we going to be advocates of love and truth? And this is why the backstory of Isaiah 9 is so important because even in our own country, there is a, an expression within the Christian family, within the church, a militancy. I'm going to hold on to my guns. I'm going to, you know, I get all, I, I get that. I get it, okay? But at the end of the day, you're going to have to lay down the guns. You're going to have to lay down the sword. And so we live in this tension, okay? And in that tension, we need to understand that God's eternal purpose is to take the boot, the the the, the garments, the swords, the battle, uh, the the boots used in battle, uh, the the bombs, uh, 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 the helicopters, the planes, you know, the drones. All that stuff is going to be ultimately destroyed. And God wants us to be on the side of that revolution, on the side of that battle. So. We read in Ephesians 6, we do not battle against flesh and blood. The spiritual battle is a battle of ideas. It's a battle of understanding. It's a battle of, of, of forces that shape. And so God is calling for a people to be salt and light, to be advocates of truth and love, who will give the garment off their back and will turn the other cheek. And yes, would even be willing to lay down their lives for their faith. Okay, martyrdom is, is a legitimate calling, as Jesus did, right? <laughs> Jesus could have commanded legions of angels, but he said, that's not the battle. The battle was not going to be to go kill the Romans or kill the Pharisees, who were his enemies. Jesus said, I'll stretch out my arms and I'll let you drive the nails through. And watch this. I'm going to come back and I'm going to start a revolution. A revolution of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Against such things, there are no weapons. <laughs> and that is the kingdom that will prevail one day. Amen and amen. And so, Father, we struggle. Oh, do we struggle because we see enemies, physical enemies, cultural enemies, enemies who, who set themselves up against you and against the faith and sometimes against us. And so, Father, lead us 
through this child this that was born, this son that was given, who grew up and took the government of the world upon his shoulders and was named the Prince of Peace. And so God, lead us through a deeper understanding of the backstory, lead us into the path of grace and truth. And when we face the, the tension within us and, and, and around us, Lord, help us always to come down with Jesus. Come down on the side of Jesus and to understand that one day all swords will be put away. They'll be beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. And we pray that you would hasten that day. And so God, lead us uh, through this week. We pray your comfort and hope for loved ones, uh, family and church family, and for our nation that is in such, such division right now. And so have mercy on us as we make our prayer in the name of the Prince of Peace, even Jesus our Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the Prince of Peace himself, even Jesus Christ, who defeated death by death and whose blood shed ends the shedding of blood. May that God bless you and keep you this day and forevermore. Amen.